Have you wondered uh, how we're going to do this, what's mine is mine title in with this series? Please say yes. You don't have to say yes. I can live with it if you hadn't even thought about it. Um, we think of what's mine is mine as kind of being born into us because those of you who watched very carefully and almost worshipped your little first child when he came into this world, you may remember that you didn't have to teach him to say, Mine! He just picked that up on his own. And I think if he'd never heard that before, it would have just come from within. And so we know that we get this thing in, in our character. That is, it goes something like, what's mine is mine. But when I picked this title, there was a, a flip side to this coin of what's mine is mine. And I'm going to get to that in just a minute. We're, we are entitled today, our subtitle under what's mine is mine is stewardship and the tithe. Stewardship is defined as the conducting, supervising, or managing of something, especially the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. That is, this is not my stuff, but I am manager of it. That's stewardship. And so when we, when we announce a stewardship series, it is understood by those who know the definition of the word that we're talking about handling something that is not ours. And so as we come to this series, I want more than anything else, this is, this is what will make your life different. If you haven't gotten it before and you can get it in this month that we're doing this, here is the message. God is huge. He is larger than we can comprehend. His resources are without and we have this deal about finances. Many of us know that there's only one pie. It is only 14 inches across. And if you don't get your piece of that pie and fight for it, protect it, you're just going to run out. And that's the way life is in a lot of minds. Now, there are certain personalities that tend to be more like that and tend to be less like that. I don't know why we're born like we are. Uh, some, some kids, when they're born, they may say mine a lot, but they're also, they, they'll sort of do what you tell them. They're called compliant. And those who do not have compliant children hate those who do have compliant children. You remember that. And if you had more than one, you probably had one that was more compliant than the other. Both of our kids were sort of compliant. Our, our relatives all hated us. Our girls slept through the night. Our relatives had never heard of that. And so we felt really especially blessed to get these tiny little girls that came to our house. And uh, so if you hear me teaching about raising children, you know that by experience, I only have a limited range of knowledge. Now, I've done a lot of studying, and I've cried with a lot of you. Don't take that personally, kids, okay? Over, over this compliance, non-compliance, this um, rebellion, sometimes it is, and so forth. And so I feel like I have a little bit better handle than just what we experienced at our house because along with the way these girls arrived and the incredible mother that they have, 
Um, I had an easy go of it by comparison, and I praise God for it. He knows what we can take, and so there you get it. But uh, this business of what's mine is mine and the stewardship thing of God being really, really large. I want to make one point before we go any further, and that is when God says what's mine is mine, it's like, I never thought of that. I always thought of him as kind of being generous. I thought of him as, um, you know, his mercies are new every morning. What's this? What's mine is mine. Well, first of all, you remember Psalm 24, the first verse where it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. You may not be as familiar with 1 Corinthians 10, 22, that says, are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And that's a picture that not a lot of people um, have a really tight handle on. And then in James 4, 5 is, is really the scripture that I had in mind when I picked this title because we'll get to the what's mine is mine thing from the human side, but I want you to see it from God's side. James 4, 5 says, or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely and the better translation is the, uh, the translation at the bottom of the page in the NIV that God jealously longs for the spirit that he made to live in us. This is to say God is jealous of us. He is jealous of our affection. He is jealous of our time. He is jealous of our energy. He is jealous of our focus. And so you can hear him saying, what's mine is mine. Now, he doesn't say it like your, your little snot-nosed kid. You, you, you wiped your little kid's nose so it wasn't snot-nosed, so it's like your little rebellious kid. Or like this rebel or... The rebel, you know, the one that looks at the back of your eyelids. This is what God has. He has poured out his love. He has poured out his blessing. He has given until every need is met that we will need to have life and godliness in this age and eternal life in heaven with him forever. He has given it all. It's all done. And he's jealous for it. He wants it back. It's not like, well, it doesn't matter how you live. It matters deeply how you live. It doesn't matter where you put your affection. It matters intensely where you put your affection. I thought it would be noisy like this when I started talking like this. God says what's mine is mine. And so just make no mistake. Now, I know that some of you who suffer from guilt will take this and twist it just enough so that it'll fix it so that when you sin, God won't ever forgive your sin. I know how to do that. I'm a, I'm a master at that, and I've spent a good part of my life trying to stop that in my little heart. Let me tell you, God will forgive you. His mercy is greater than your stubborn rebellion. But he wants your affection. He wants your focus. He wants your life. He loved you so much that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him would not perish, 
but have everlasting life. So God says, what's mine is mine. Number two, let's talk about the token of the tithe. Tithe means uh, a tenth part. That's just what the Hebrew word from, from which we get this whole uh, message and this whole uh, scriptural teaching. And I don't know whether you ever heard of it referred to as the token of the tithe. But tithe is a picture of everything belonging to God. And we bring to God this 10% that says, I believe everything belongs to God. And this is how I prove that I believe it. You don't have to take my word for it. Watch me write this check. That's what that means. Now, tokens in the scripture are just really thick. I picked out about a half dozen. Token of the fact that God promises never to destroy the world with flood ever again. You remember that token? It is. Rainbow. Genesis 3.12. Token of circumcision. Token of circumcision is the a token that God has chosen the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be his special people forever. And if you have, have ever heard that when the church came along, they set aside the covenant that God made with, uh, with that bunch, you heard wrong because that is an eternal covenant. And you, you say, well, I don't like the Jewish people. Well, there's probably some other people you don't like. You might probably ought to get over that and pray for them. Just a little extra free. That was free there. Um, the, you see, when God chooses someone, that doesn't mean they're holy. That means they're chosen. Start doing this on the inside. You don't have to do it on the outside, but you need to start getting this in there. This means... And, and if you think, I think the Jewish people are, are more righteous than anyone else, um, I'd probably argue with you about that. They're, I don't think they're more righteous than anyone. I'm not, they're not as righteous as some people. They're kind of like the rest of us. But they are chosen. And circumcision is the token of that. Um, I don't want to spend too much time with these, but this is really important. There was a token that God would never... Uh, kill the firstborn of the people of Israel as he delivered them out of slavery. And the token of that was the blood that was on the lintel and the doorposts of the houses. This was the blood of a, of a little animal or lamb, and that's the picture there. Then, springing out of that fact where God spared and, and the, the firstborn of the families of, of the people of Israel did not die. Then God claims the whole nation as his own. He has purchased them. What's mine is mine might fit right here. And the way that he wanted that demonstrated that the people of Israel belonged to him when he redeemed them. They were in the pawn shop of slavery in Egypt and he brought the purchase price in and plunked her down and took those people out as his very own. And the token of that was that the firstborn of every human family and every animal family belonged to God. 
And the firstborn human had to be redeemed with a, a gift that was taken ultimately to the temple. But the animals had to, if they were clean animals, had to be sacrificed. If they were, if it was a horse, donkey, uh, whatever, camel, that these were not uh, suitable for offering in the temple, then they had to be sold and the money brought. This bunch belongs to me, and that firstborn was the token of that. When the Ten Commandments came along, one of those Ten Commandments became the token of the other ten, and it was the Sabbath. The Sabbath means, dear one, that since God owns everything, I can work six days and rest one day, and the six days will be enough for the whole week to support me and my family and all the stuff that I need to give away and so forth. And it became the picture of the faith of the people of God. When Jesus was bringing over into his teaching uh, the various commandments from the Ten Commandments, he brought over nine he left out the Sabbath. He never did teach it like it was taught in the Ten Commandments. Instead, we find out what it became in the faith walk of the Christian. The rest is, you remember Hebrews 3 and 4, where there still is a rest for the people of God. And that rest Hebrews 3 and 4 says, we have stopped our works to be saved. Now, we were saved to do good works, but we were not saved by good works. And we have stopped trying to do good works to be saved, and that is the Sabbath. And by the way, that's the token of the new covenant. And if you, if you wonder what happened to the Sabbath, the Lord is very, very cranky about the Sabbath. Under the law, it, he was very, very cranky. Under grace, he's very, very cranky because he is not going to accept any works from your hand to substitute for what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Now, he wants a bunch of works from you. You were saved to do good works, but you were not saved by them, nor can you ever be. And so the tithe then becomes the token that our belief that God owns everything and he will take care of us. Now there is a, a very telling scripture and it is, it is an amazing setting. Let me set it up just a little bit. Out of Egypt came the people of Israel. Ultimately, they possessed this little strip at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea that we uh, know as Israel. Uh, God removed the nations in front of them, and this was not uh, some usurping by the Israelites of these people. These people had sinned so much that the land was vomiting them out, and God was giving the land to this, this chosen bunch. Well, they went in there and floundered around for a few generations, and then God gave them kings, and they part of the time would have their act partly together. The rest of the time, they acted a lot like the people were living that God had removed so he could give them this land. 
And finally, they got so bad that the scripture says they were worse than the people that they had replaced. And so they were removed. And for 70 years, God had said this before, long before this was ever done, 70 years. And then he named the king, the, the heathen king, that would be the one who would send the decree that would bring the people back into their land. It was empty, basically empty for 70 years. So this bunch comes back and their, their first goal is to rebuild the temple. Well, they were just as blockheaded as you are and as I am. And so they begin to put all of this emphasis on trying to build a life. And they built their houses and they built, they, they, they reclaimed the fields that, that had been fallow for all of these years. And they planted vineyards and they were just working and working and working. And the temple was not being rebuilt. And the reason they said they came back was to rebuild this temple. And so the Lord... Um, begins to say, I want that temple. What's mine is mine. And so that's a short form. But he brings, he brings out this line through one of the prophets. It's in Malachi chapter 3. And the setup before this is that as a result of these people concentrating on the wrong thing, they were not being blessed. They thought they had a... a storage shed that was three-fourths full of grain and they'd go in there and it was only a third full. What happened to the rest of it? And, and, and their life was like that. They, they were putting money in sacks with holes in it is one of the figures of scripture. And so then the Lord says through the prophet, bring the whole tithe, full 10%, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And here is the only place this occurs in Scripture. He says, test me in this. Now, some of you grew up long enough ago to, to have heard this phrase, I double-dog dare you. And that is what God is saying. I dare you to do this. Try me out. See if I'm lying to you. Test me in this. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Your storehouses are about to run over if you just do this, he says. And I can see the natural mind. You know, we know that two plus two equals four. And if you have ten... And you give one away, just give it away, just flush it out of the family budget. Nine will not go as far as ten. I'm smart enough to know that myself. You're probably almost as smart as I am and can figure that out. And so we are introducing here what we have been trying to embrace this whole series, and that is the incredible bounty of God owning everything. His heart is larger than his treasure. Boy, I like that line. He owns everything, and his heart is larger than that. And he is saying, if you do this, 
it will open the door so I can bless you and let you see a little piece of my real heart. And that's what God is saying to us about the tithe. And so when we talk about the token of the tithe, that's what we're talking about. Brett, you're up. Hi. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Brett Curry. I've gone to this church my whole life, basically. However, the past few years, I've kind of let some things slip in my life. And um, to be honest, it's, it's led to some real struggles that I've had. And one of those things that I let slip was tithing. And when I say I let it slip, I pretty much mean I wasn't tithing at all. Uh, about a month and a half ago, God really started working me over about things that I needed to get changed in my life. And one of those things, of course, was tithing. So I finally got to the point where I said, okay, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but this next Sunday, I'm going to start tithing. So I get to church on Sunday, sit down, it's time for the offering, and, uh, Realized, no checkbook, no wallet, no tithe. So I just said, God, you know, I'm so sorry, but I know you know my heart. I know you know my intentions, and I promise Wednesday night there's going to be that check in the offering. So Tuesday rolls around. I'm at work. My boss calls me into her office, and I had been expecting this because a few weeks prior, she... um told me that she was going to give me some additional management responsibilities, not really a big deal, but with that would come a little pay increase. And uh, pay increases are pretty tough to come by at my uh, place of employment right now. They've pretty much frozen, you know, all increases, anything like that, just due to the tough economy and things like that. So anything I was going to get was going to be a blessing. So I kind of had this small number in my mind that I, I anticipated I was going to get. But I also said, you know, God, if you could just give me this amount, it would really help me a lot. So I'm sitting there in her office. She's telling me about this increase that I'm going to get. And by the time she's done, I'm about to fall out of my chair. Tears welling up in my eyes. She's looking at me like I'm crazy. But I couldn't believe because I knew what God had just done for me. He gave me exactly that amount that I was asking him for. And, um, you know, I've been at this company for 10 years, and I had never had anything like that. But here's the best part. Not only did he give me that exact amount that I was asking for, he also gave me the exact amount that I should have been tithing all of this time along. So... He basically gave me what I had been asking for and also gave me what I should have been giving him this entire time. So, you better believe that next Wednesday night that check was in the offering, and it has been every week since then. Um, you know, if you're not tithing right now, I just really want to encourage you to take that step of faith because 
God will provide for you, and he will bless you. Amen. Amen. All right, please make your check out to Crumb Butcher. No, we'll, we, will do, we will do that in a minute. I want now to, to bring you to point number three, and that is we have a decision to make. Are we going to treat this life like our slice of the pie or are we going to ask the Holy Spirit to begin to give us the concept that our dad owns the bakery. And I want you to just deal with that. You. I don't want you to say, man, I'm glad she's here. No, get over that. You deal with this. And some of you are not tithing, or else this is kind of a waste, but I assume you're not. But I want you to know that it's not about math. And that is so crazy to say. I'll get to that in just a little bit. But uh, it, is, it is so crazy, I know, to say that. But here is what Jesus says about how to handle money. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Thieves break in and steal, and you have a recession. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's what that means. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then we jump to verse 24, Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, Jesus is the one that, that puts at opposites God and money. These are not juxtaposed. These are opposites, honey. You can't serve both. And if your idea of this life is to get all you can and can all you get, you will not go to heaven. I mean, you can't serve. You, you can't do that and serve God. Is that what that says? Am I lying? Did I twist it? Except about the recession. But you know it does mean that. No, you can't serve two masters. Well, that, that's, that's irresponsible. You know, I, you, you, I can hear you say, I, I've been listening to what's-his-face that's uh, uh, Lindsay? Ramsey. I couldn't get it. It was like blank. I've been listening to him and he's, you're not saying the same thing. I really am. He is right on. But let me tell you, don't get confused about the addition and subtraction. Get a grasp of the faith that God is huge. He has more than you can ever imagine needing. He will, if you will act in faith, he will open the windows of heaven, the floodgates of heaven. The NIV says, and give you a blessing you cannot contain. 
You see, and it is a matter of faith, by the way. That's the token of the tithe. It is faith that God owns everything and is going to take care of me. And I have to be a good manager of what he gives me. But I don't have to fight for it like my piece of the pie. Because I am related to the guy that owns the bakery. Remember that. Keep that in mind. It is so important that we not put God in this little box of him having to flow through whatever. You say, you don't know, I'm on a fixed income. Who fixes it? <laughs> Who fixed that income? Well, well, I know, you know, and I, I stutter like that when I'm wrong too, but anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, that was too handy. I, <laughs> I just love it when I'm right. Um, you see, it's not mathematics. It's the blessing of the eternal creator of the universe who loves you so much he gave Jesus for you. That's what we're dealing with. We're not dealing with mathematics. I have more than once run the numbers for the newbie household and you get down to the bottom and it's not computing and I just write the check for the tithe and get it out of there so I don't have to deal with any unbelief taking charge of my life. And so far, we've not lost a car, we've not lost a house, and the bills are current. And we are just blessed beyond measure. Now, how does that work? Well, the one that created the universe makes it work. And if he chooses to show you, it may be through a raise like Brett got. It may not be. It doesn't have to be. It, it's just not. It could be an expense you anticipated that was much more. I remember one time when Eunice and I had, this was before we ever moved to Kansas City, and we had three different $500 chunks that were coming at us. And honey, this was 40 years ago, and that was a bunch of money. Still is, but really felt large. We had these three $500 chunks that were coming at us, and I thought, how but it's not a question of whether we're going to write the check to the Lord. We just do that. That comes off the top. You bring the tithe to the Lord. And so we did. And I remember that none of the three actually materialized, and we had to pay a couple hundred bucks on one of them. Well, I had the money for that. That's not a big deal. I had it. I've been saving for more than that. You see, the Lord doesn't have to, doesn't have to do math because he does life. But it, it operates by faith. And you know how you, ha, you know you have faith? It's if you write the check. You don't write the check, you don't have faith. Don't say, I believe God will take care of me, and you don't tithe, because you're lying to yourself. You do, not, you do not believe God's going to take care of you, or you'd write that check. Anybody? <laughs> I love it. You cannot serve both God and money. And dear one... We are in a position to serve God. Money will come and go. We've already seen that. We've seen stuff in the last three or four or five years of, of the embezzling and the poor management right in our own country where literally billions have just evaporated. Did you know that if you'd had money in there but your faith was in the Lord... He would still be taking care of you. That's right. That's what he does. He takes care of his people. We're going to worship together now in the tithe offering.
And uh, God bless you as you give. Would you be seated? The conclusion of this sermon, I felt like the Lord spoke to me specifically. And by the way, in, in probably next week, but in a subsequent, we've got two more installments in this series. I'm, I'm going to deal with the question when something comes to you, whether you call it seed or bread. Meditate on that if you've never heard of that before. It's an interesting concept. And then there is that scripture that says when you're giving, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with those things and show you what the scripture is talking about there. But today what the Lord said to me is that we need to get it a little more clearly defined in our, in our self-concept that we are countercultural. We are out of step with this world. Counterculture is, de is defined like this, a culture with values and mores that run counter to those of established society. It's been a real relief to some of us from 50, 60 years ago that our women don't have to look so much different from the other women on the street. Anybody old enough to remember that stuff? That's not funny. That wasn't funny then. And uh, it was so off the wall and bless our hearts, we, we built the kingdom of God and grew spiritually anyway. And many times I think it was in spite of that. And I remember that it was a question about, about going to ball games. And my dad didn't have a conviction about that. I was an abandoned. But I remember when we had revival meetings in the fall and the football game came on Friday night and I was first chair trombone. And I, I marched and, and believe me, the band would not have collapsed if I weren't there. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I had practiced and practiced and practiced. First rank, first file, I set the pace. And um, so he just, he just says, go to the game. And, and the implication was, don't talk about it, just go to the game. Well, you know, high school football doesn't sound very worldly. If you have any, any time recently been to a professional uh, sporting event, especially football, um, some of it is just downright gross. People don't have any class. And they think the drunker they get, the funnier they are. And uh, they're not right about that, but they are pretty funny to think that. And so all that stuff's legal now. And I, I sure don't want to go back, and going back is really silly. What I want is a heart that loves God more than the approval of the kids across the aisle in school. People across the fence, people across the aisle at work, um, et cetera, et cetera. Our heart is counter culture. Our heart loves the things of God. Our heart is willing to even embrace the fact that tithing absolutely makes no sense in the natural. 
tell me to give away 10% of my income if I'm going to go 2 plus 2 equals 4. If I have faith, then I, I, we say, and our line, tithers have this line. When somebody says, I can't afford to tithe, they say, man, I can't afford not to tithe. So, you know, it's, but, but that's, that's internalized. That's stuff that we've done for years and years. We know it works. Our lives are blessed. We have stuff, we, we have stories, testimonies we can tell you that we should not be able to have coming from where we have come and making the kind of money we make. We shouldn't be able to enjoy the blessings we do, but God, but God. And so it's, it's almost like not only can I afford to tithe, I can afford not to tithe. Well, you see, that's countercultural. That's what I'm talking about. But it must go far beyond money. I was watching these kids worship tonight or this morning as, as, they, as they helped lead the worship before they sing for us. And uh, I had to cry a little bit, you know. I said, I'm, I'm okay with adult males crying. Just as long as you got a good reason to cry. <laughs> and, and the idea of where I was headed with this sermon and seeing these people that are willing to acknowledge that God, whom you cannot see, they are willing to say, He's real and I can raise my hand to him and I can get all happy and they might even cry about it. It's like, whoa, that's countercultural. And then you see the, the going against the, the uh, established ways and mores of society. That's, that's what this is all about. And you know, we believe that we're getting close to the end of our age as, as we know it and that Jesus is coming. And everyone who is not walking with Jesus will be lost. Now that's really countercultural because that's just not tolerant and that's not pluralistic. It is narrow-minded fundamentalistic. Anything else is error, by the way, just for the record. And if you disagree with me, let's talk afterwards because I feel really stubborn about this. And I'd be glad to hear where you are. And uh, if the Lord would help me, I'd love to show you a chink in that armor if I can. The Lord loves you anyway and will save you another way if he gets a chance. But you see, that stuff will damn souls because not, not all paths lead to heaven. All paths lead to God. We're all going to stand before God. We'll be judged. And those who have come in through Jesus Christ are going to go into heaven. Everybody else is going to hell. And you say, man, you are narrow-minded. You don't have a clue. I got that narrow-mindedness from studying the one who gave himself to keep you out of hell. That's where I got that narrow-mindedness. And whether you're walking with the Lord or not, if you're walking with the Lord, I want you to ask him before you leave this, leave this building, Lord, help me to become a better counter-cultural worker for you. And if you're not walking with the Lord, just, you don't have to do this on the outside, but on the inside, raise your hand to Jesus and say, Jesus, this guy is nuts. 
He's talking about giving away money and you blessing. And I don't know about that, but I know that you gave yourself for me and I need you. If you'll do that, if you'll do that, he will meet you right where you are. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ.